0: Hope you have your Bibles with you as we continue on the series through the book of Colossians, chapter two. Now, I don't know about any of you, but have you ever been ripped off before? Raise your hand if you've been. Oh yeah! Oh wow! You guys got ripped off more than the first service. I wonder what that means about you. So when I was in, when I was, um, so some of you know the story. For me, is that I went to Cedarville um here in in ohio and then i went right into seminary in dallas texas and in that summer i went to israel to study historical settings of the bible in modern hebrew it was amazing amazing trip i took money with me um, which is a good idea Um, but i started to run out of money towards the end of that time and um, i can tell you that i can live on 30 cent ramen noodles I, i can validate that but um, I had about fifty dollars cash in my wallet one day, and I'd noticed this guy he had a crowd around him, and he had a, a suitcase that was out, and he had some playing cards, and he had a playing. You guys know the game, right? And like he, you know the game where he, if it was a face card, then you had to pick the right one, and if it wasn't, then he'd take your money. Well, I was watching this guy. And I kept realizing I was getting this right almost every single time. And there was a man that was across from him. I remember distinctly that he was redheaded. And I don't know if that really matters, but um, the the guy kept winning. And the guy who was doing the game kept paying out this money, just kept paying out. And I thought, oh, I could use 50 bucks. And so at the last moment, I thought I'd had it all figured out. I put my money on. You can't believe a pastor did this, can you? Some of you are judging me. Some of you are judging me right now. That's not nice. Um, So I I put my money down. and, And right as I go to point, there was a girl right beside me here. I hadn't really recognized her before, but she pointed at a different one than I was aiming at. And she looked like she knew what she was talking about. So I agreed and flipped it over. And I was wrong. So I lost $50. Now that $50 mattered to me. And, and there, there was a moment in the midst of all of this where you, your heart's racing. Uh, you just recognize that you've been taken advantage of. We've had at, at Grace, the church that I served at, prior to coming here, we'd have people who'd come in, I think because I was the missions pastor, and they'd share thousands of dollars that they had given to an online scheme or that they had misunderstood or they had fallen into a trap. And, and you, know, you know what I found out? I was staying at a youth hostel that evening And here walks in the redhead and the girl and the guy. They were all working together in in their little scheme. And I totally fell for it, right? Now, when it comes to Satan, one of the things that we're told in um, John 10.10 is it says that the deceiver has come to steal. Do you guys know this verse? If you don't, it's worth memorizing. The deceiver has come to steal, to kill, and devour. And then it goes on to say, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Wouldn't it be nice if we could know for sure if the, the schemes of, of Satan, that deceiving, stealing, devouring, were, were evident enough that we could go, oh, there, there's no chance, that's for me. Uh, when, when my daughter, Karis, we have a rule in our household that they can get a cell phone, our girls could get a cell phone at age 13. And um, Karis, when she turned 13, we got her a cell phone and we were out to eat and she was super excited about her cell phone. And in the car on the way home, she got a phone call, which we were impressed because it had just been activated. And it was from the social security department telling her that she owed $2,000 in back taxes. <laughs> now, we, we laugh about it because, you know, the kid had never worked a day in her life. Of course, it was a fraud. Of course, it was a scam. And, and Christ follower that's here today, I want to remind you, and we're going to see this in Colossians chapter two, that we can have that same confidence that that when, when the schemes of Satan are coming at us, that we can laugh at it. I, we had a mouse in our basement, I finally got him, um, but he left his little marks and, and he would pick off my mouse traps every time. It was almost like he was making fun of me at some level, right? And, and there's a component of this that as a Christ follower, we don't have to fear the schemes of the devil. The Apostle Paul's gonna point out three to the church in Colossae, he'd never been there before, but he knew that they loved the Lord. And he wanted to warn them about three things that have the potential of, we'll see next week, disqualifying their faith. So he wanted to warn them that these were real threats, real temptations that had the potential of destroying a person's faith. And I wanna encourage you this morning with the same confidence that we stood back and laughed and we knew that this was a fraud, that you and I can have that same understanding When Satan comes to tempt us, did you guys know that the number? Last year they say in 2018 that it was it was between $1.4 billion and $10 billion that people had lost to fraud on online fraud. And you say, well, how is there such a big number? Well, the 1.4 is the number of people who confess that it happened, and the 10 billion is the number that they believe happened from what they understand. So as a Christ follower, it's possible for you and I to thrive. And Colossians has been reminding of this. It gives us this image of being deeply rooted. And in Christ, the reality for the believer is that we lack nothing, especially nothing that the deceiver, Satan, can offer us. But he ultimately wants you and I to be captive. And we're gonna see this clearly in the text. But but as we go into this, this sermon this morning, I wanna remind you that we have tremendous freedom in our understanding of Christ in our life. I love this, this picture of a tree that, is, that if you look closely, it's kind of hard to see in our picture, but, but it's that there was a fire that's there. And, and if you could see the, the tree in its detail, it's, it's thriving. It's still growing because of the fact that its roots were deep. That while, while the destructive fire went through there, it, it had nothing to fear because its roots ran deep. The first point this morning that we'll see flow from the text is that we can be securely rooted and established in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very, very clear in the text. And and the Apostle Paul is going to warn us to stay vigilant against the captivating attacks of the enemy by living in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8 and we'll catch back up in verse 5. It says this, See to it that no one takes you, this is very personal, that takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. The the, the warning is very simple. If it's not of Christ, you need to pay attention to it and you need to be careful because this can ultimately entrap you that it can turn you into a slave. The word that's here is, describes a pirate who plunders a ship and who captures it. Or uh, in the days of slave trading, that this was literally the word that was used to say that a person was captured and enslaved by someone else. That, that he says, do not allow anyone to take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. <laughs> There are subtle additions and subtractions to the word of God that individuals allow themselves to creep into the truth. And it leads to cults. It leads to lies. It leads to individuals who are deeply distracted from the truth. There's a man who wrote a book called Crazy for God. And he was a, it's an interesting story. He was is currently a student when he, he was a student at an Ivy League college and he was invited to a weekend away. And it ended up becoming a a really, he said it was a fun week, but it turned into being a call. He was brainwashed. And the story that he would write later would be that they used such similar language to what he had heard in church, but it was just subtly different. And what ended up happening is that ultimately individuals were distracted from the truth I, I think of this, this idea when I think of the church in Berea. I'm not talking about the one that's a couple of miles that direction. But, but the church in Berea, do you, do you remember in the book of Acts, the, the story of the church in Berea is that in Acts chapter 17, it's, we're told that, that after the apostle Paul would preach, that it says that they would eagerly search the scriptures to determine if what he taught, the apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, was true. You know what that tells us, believer, is that we ought not to um, be worried too much about who the messenger is that's communicating a message. Um, I will speak about this about myself, that after I have preached here at Hope, I have had individuals afterwards that have sat down with me and they've said, hey, what about this? And how's this fit in with this passage? And I'm never offended by that because what they're doing is what the church in Berea did. They eagerly sought the scriptures to determine if what was taught was true. Now, this is a personal challenge to you, that this is your responsibility. The way Paul words it, he says, this is your job, that you ought to eagerly search the scripture to determine if what was taught was true. Last uh, last week, I told you about my time in Liberia. I was preaching at a church in Liberia, and um, I was was on deck. The the guy that was before me um, at this church, this amazing church in West Africa, was um, an elder in their church. And the way that it worked, the church service was very long, a little bit longer than Hope Church's services today. Um, you packed your lunch, you know. And um, the the service before, there was a pre-message before I was going to preach. And uh, the guy that was preaching before me Um, was up on stage and he was sharing a message. And uh, the guy that was sitting beside me was the church planting pastor that had planted, I think it was something like 22 churches in that region. Amazing guy. And he's sitting beside me. And I'm just going to be honest that I wasn't completely paying attention to the message. All right. Do you forgive me? Um, And so I was just worried about my message that I was going to preach in a few minutes. And in, in the middle of the church service, now I'm not recommending that we do this today, but in the middle of the church service, the, the pastor that was sitting beside me, the church planning pastor, he raised his hand and he asked the speaker, interrupted him, and he said, um, can you do me a favor and restate the point that you just made? So the guy said it again, and and I'm still not catching up as to what's going on. And then he says, Well, can you read this verse and God's word? And then the guy now he says, now can you correct the statement that you just said? And and the guy and the guy is you could see him, I felt bad for him and I was nervous about my preaching in a few minutes, right? But but you could see he's trying to figure it out. And then ultimately the man sitting next to me said, What you just taught was heresy. It goes against the again, I'm not recommending that we do this at hope. You can do it afterwards, okay? But, but what he was doing was that he was taking so seriously the word that was being taught. Remember what they said about Jesus? Is that they said that he taught as one with authority. That wasn't because of his education. That was because he was teaching the very word of God. And I believe a pastor can speak with that authority. But for those of us who are listening, this is the way I respond to other teachers when I have the privilege of listening to them is that we take the words that they use and we take them very seriously. Warren Wearsby puts it beautifully. He says that the, there's a challenge for us when it comes to false teachers and individuals that, that use similar words, but they, remember what Satan's words, or, or what, what, he, what Paul says that we need to be worried about is people who would entrap us or enslave us, is that he, he says this, um, this is a longer quote, but I think it's profound. Warren Wearsby calls these words plastic words, words that can be twisted to mean anything you want them to mean. The false teachers use our vocabulary, but they don't use our dictionary. That's a profound statement. They talk about salvation, inspiration, and great words of the Christian faith, but they do not mean what we mean when we say those words. How can we avoid being hoodwinked? That's a great word, too. Um, I don't even know how to spell that, hoodwinked. Um, by one of satan's workers of deceit and he gives three ways to do it the first is that we stop that we refuse to blindly accept someone else's teaching just because others have been encouraged by it stop long enough to make serious study comparing what is being taught with what the scriptures teach that's biblical it doesn't matter who the teacher is It's that we choose to say that we're going to respond to the authority of God first, and that that's where we're going to find the source of truth. The second he says is look, take a careful look at the life of the main spokesperson. Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in their lives? Don't be wowed because someone sounds intelligent or wooed because of someone's charisma. And the third thing he says is listen pay attention to the terms a person uses and how they're defined. This is the most helpful thing, I think, in this quote. He says, also listen to what is not being said. Don't judge truth just by how you feel. Think. Make your judgment. Do you guys remember what Jesus warned us that there would be a day when there would be People who had their tickling their tickling ears they'd want to hear. Like, that's a weird phrase, right? That we, we want to have somebody tickle our ears. And, and that, that ultimately is not the description of what we ought to be looking for, but we ought to be someone who's Berean in the way we approach truth. Now, in his phrase, the three warnings that he gives is philosophy of empty deceit or false philosophy, spirits of the world, in human tradition, let's talk about that for a second. So, in the text, he says, "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit." This, the Apostle Paul was not against the philosophy. The Apostle Paul often quoted philosophers. He was somebody who used his mind very well. I think that it's important for us in the Greek text that, the, that there's an article there. That means the philosophy, and there, there was a philosophy of the the day. There was an empty deceit, the way that the text describes it. And I think often that's subtle additions and subtractions to the truth of God's word. William James put it this way about false philosophy. He said, false philosophy is like a blind man looking in a dark room for a black cat that isn't there. Isn't that depressing? (laughs) There's no hope for its search for truth. The the second thing that the apostle Paul warns this church in Colossae, remember it's believers that he's writing to, that he's warning them that there's a temptation for them to be distracted by false truth. And it's this human tradition. The second thing he warns them about is according to human tradition. You know, we, as Christ followers, ought to be people who hold a different set of values than the culture that's around us. In Romans, in Romans 12, we're warned to no longer conform to the pattern of this world. But do you remember what he says? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind daily that there's a pattern of this world. There's a culture that's around us. If you have your notes on the backside, there's a, a recorded copy of one of my favorite psalms ever, Psalm number one. It was challenged to memorize it as a young man. And it's, it's a fascinating statement. It says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. It doesn't sound familiar to this image that we're using in the book of Colossians of being rooted and established in truth. This is not so for the wicked because they're like chaff that blows in the wind. And, and I, don't, I want you to catch that image. We know what chaff is like. We know what leaves ha- look like when we burn them. Like they're, they're just tossed in the wind. Have you ever been that way in your life? Have you ever met someone that's like that? Where where the the decisions of their life are just based on who's blowing the most, who which which context are they in, who do they respect the most, in their, and it's constantly changing. The description that's here is human tradition, is something that has that been a part of of American culture for a long time, and religion's been a part of that. And there's a component of that that it's very hard at times to separate human tradition from even religious acts that people do we'll look at that more next week the third warning is the spirits of the world and i will remind you that the deceiver wants to do nothing but to steal to kill and to devour i was in honduras on a missions trip many years ago (laughs) you guys think all this guy does is do missions trips right uh, I was in Honduras many years ago, and I um, had one of the worst experiences of my life, actually. I uh, visited an old Mayan ruins that was there, and we had a tour guide who walked us around, and he was explaining to us the place that we were at, the game that they played that was similar to basketball, rubber ball, um, the, the rocks. It was all pretty well preserved. And then he takes us over to the stone, and he said, oh, that's, that's where they would do the human sacrifices, and then he would describe, and he showed us the detail that it was designed to show as much human blood as possible during the sacrifice. And he said that from what we can tell from, from the ruins and such is that sometimes it was the winners that were, if they won, sometimes they were all put to death as in a sacrifice to the gods. Sometimes it was the losers. Sometimes it was both. And, and, and I, I, I was sick inside wrestling with, did you notice that it was described in language that these were sacrifices offered to some version of God? I'll tell you that that is not my God, that those sacrifices were offered to. The deceiver wants to steal, to kill, and to devour. There's so many things that the Apostle Paul, remember we talked about Build-A-Bear Faith, the Apostle Paul is fighting against us, taking bits and pieces of different religions and making a new religion, that makes us feel comfortable is warning them. And in our culture today, the spirits of this world, there are so many different versions of this, mythologies, mysticism, astrologies, extra biblical religious texts, crystals, charms. There are times when believers buy into stuff. It's really just stuff from the world that we live in. And we say, well, if I can just mesh it together with my faith, that, that maybe it'll be okay. I, I, want, I want more. And and there's a part of this that, that we have to understand that those three things, according to the Apostle Paul, are things that we need to be warned that they can take us captive. They can captivate us. It's interesting to me to say, see that the Apostle Paul makes this very personal. If you look at verse eight, he says, see to it, be deliberate, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. This is very personal to you. This is not my job as a pastor to see to it that you don't get distracted, but it's your job, your responsibility to, like we said earlier, to understand your faith in such a way that you can identify a counterfeit. The way he words it is is one that implies that this is personal And then if we go back to verse five, if you'll turn back with me, he says this, for though I'm absent with you in body, remember Paul had never been to to Colossae, he says, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness, remember that language of rooted in Christ, faith in Christ, in verse six, he says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I suppose that we could look at this and see Satan is wanting to be your capt, your, make you captive, and I suppose by choosing to follow Christ Jesus the Lord, nothing can threaten the believer, the way that it's described. By being captivated in Christ, by Christ, you and I can avoid becoming captives to lesser things. By being captivated by Christ, we can avoid being captives to lesser things. The word. Elsewhere as slaves to righteousness. Knowing the truth gives us the privilege of being able to identify the frauds. It's it's beautiful in Psalm 1 the way that this this faith is described as a firm foundation. It's also interesting here that Paul gives us three words that are important. Christ, Jesus, and the Lord. These contradicted three of the controversies that surrounded the Christian church early on. That Christ establishes his deity jesus establishes humanity and was directly in conflict with what the gnostics were teaching of the day and then the lord his authority and sovereignty is established above all if you understand christ jesus the lord it's similar to that phrase that we talked about a couple of weeks ago christ in us the hope of glory that it establishes and recalibrates everything this next phrase is helpful for us we're told to walk in him at the end of verse six so walk in him. Remember, walking in a Christian life is always my volitional choice. I get to decide where I'm gonna to go today, how I'm gonna spend my day today. I'm going to, I get to choose how I'm going to respond to this truth. And he's saying to you, walk in him. And you have freedom. You have the blessing of thriving in him, but not be distracted. Do you remember what John 10.10 10 goes on to say? It says, the deceiver has come to steal, to kill, and devour, but I have come that you might have life and you might have it to the fullest. It's what it looks like for us to thrive. Verse seven puts it this way. It says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, like the roots of that tree in the fire, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Full people truly lack nothing. And there's a component of this that we see the thriving person understanding who they are and understanding what it means for them to be secure. They're full They get this right, and it's evidence. This is wonderful that this is evidenced by gratitude. They're just grateful people. They're thankful for what they have, not what others have that they wish that they had. And by getting this right, it just gives us the privilege to thrive. They abound in gratitude, abound in thanksgiving. So this leads to the second point this morning. The first point was we can be securely rooted and established in Christ. The second is rejoice. Our debts are paid and full. This is great news. The Apostle Paul emphasizes this in verse 9. He says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Again, he's talking about Christ. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The, the thing that he's going to go on to say, he's going to talk about the atonement, when he's going to talk about what we celebrate at Easter, that not only did Jesus die, but he rose from the dead, that the price of our life was ultimately his death. I can remember as a boy reading an old missionary letter and it was a story of a, a little girl who was in a tribe um, in, a, in a place where, um, where they're distant from healthcare and she tripped and fell into a pit and one of the women in the tribe, um, they, the missionaries would write in their prayer letter that one of the women in the tribe heard her screaming. And so they, she ran in and she jumped in the pit with this little girl. Ultimately, both of them were bit by a poisonous snake. And the, the woman who's in the pit reaches up this little girl out. They get her out of the pit and she goes and is treated and she survives, but the other woman dies. And And it was used as a description of what the Lord Jesus did when it says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, that his death was so that we might have life, that his perfect sacrifice was one to make our life possible. And Paul theologically unpacks that beautifully when he says in verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's a weird topic to bring up, but what he's talking about is As a Jew, the Jewish community was circumcised through their functioning obedience to the law. But now he talks about a different kind of circumcision, a circumcision of the heart that happens at the hands of God by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. It is because of Jesus' resurrection, it's because of Easter that you and I don't have to fear death if we're Christ followers. It's because Jesus was resurrected. He showed that he had victory over death, that we get to find ourselves being individuals who have the same hope of resurrection. Remember what we keep saying. Christ in us, the hope of glory it's not a promise that we have an easy road, but what the promise is, is that we get to look forward to our own bodily resurrection. That should get you excited. You guys awake? That, that's profound. And, and what he's saying here is that he's saying that it is through the death of Christ that we can find ourselves anticipating the life that he offers for you and I. We are dead to sin and now we are alive to Christ. If you are not a believer, I cannot say that same promise about you. So the description in God's word is that he says that you are no longer a slave to sin in Romans he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for the individual that has chosen not to place their faith and trust in Christ, they are still bound to sin. And this description of baptism is really cool because the description of baptism basically says people get confused about baptism. Baptism is not something that you need to do a thousand times. It's not about being cleansed. It has nothing to do with the water purifying you. What baptism is, is an individual who publicly is saying, I'm associating with the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was in Turkey, we went in Cappadocia to this this, um, underground city that was built underground when the church was under tremendous persecution in the first 400 years of the church. And One of the things that shocked me they had these little light bulbs hard to see things they had all kinds of things under there you can look it up online but one of the things that shocked me was that there was a water baptismal that was built and chiseled out of the stone there for individuals to be baptized and what's fascinating about it is you think they could have done some other thing they could have sprinkled or whatever they could have but But the imagery of the death, burial, and resurrection of the individual as they go into the water and come out is just a public declaration of our story. When Nicodemus says to Jesus um, that he doesn't understand what it means to be born again, that it's the same imagery where he's saying that you, you are able to go from death to life. And so we enter into it. It says in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Christ in us, the hope of glory. His resurrection makes our resurrection possible. Verse 13 goes on to say, and you who are dead in your transgressions and your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, he's speaking to Gentiles, who were never Jews, he says, "'God made alive together with him, "'having forgiven us all our trespasses "'by canceling the record of debt "'that stood against us with its legal demands. "'This he set aside, nailing it to the cross.'" This is so cool. This is an amazing description. The record of debt. I want you to just imagine for a minute that you lived in a culture where your record of debt, your amount of debt could be so significant that you got sold into indentured servitude. That your record of debt was not just your record of debt. My in-laws always tease and they say um, that we're going to inherit debt from them. Um, I don't think that's that funny, actually. Um, but, But... but, but the, can you imagine that this thing was, remember in an illiterate culture, This was some of the only words that were written about you with your name associated with it is what you owed. And what, what this just says, do you catch the imagery of what Paul's saying is that your name's on this thing. It lists out all that you owe to a point where it could force you to be sold into slavery. Did you see what the, the image is? Is that it's put up on the cross, that Jesus put it on the cross and he nailed it to the cross. He destroyed it, right? It's it's done. It's nailed to the cross. This is why we say that we have Christ in us the hope of glory. It's because our transgressions are nailed to the cross. Our debt is paid in full and then it ends in this I love this last verse. This is great. Verse 15. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities. This is another name for Satan, the great accuser. Oh, I want you to just think about that description of Satan. He's here to tempt you, and then he's also here to accuse you when you give in to temptation. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing I cannot say that word. I had trouble in the first service too. Um, by, by winning, okay, um, over, over them in him. It's a beautiful description. You know that word embarrassing? He's, he's saying, saying that, that we win, that we're on the winning team. I didn't say this earlier, but it's important for us when we talk about the principalities of darkness, that there's power that's there. There's, there's true power that's there, but it's not power with authority. And it's the way it's described in your notes, that there's, there's power, but it does not have authority, especially in the life of a believer. And here what he's saying is that the deceiver who's come to steal, kill, and devour, but I've come that you might have life, is that he is, we're so a part of the winning team that he's, it's shameful to the deceiver. I, I love this description. It's the same word that's used in the New Testament for um, when Joseph decided that he was going to di- divorce Mary quietly, remember when he talks about that, he says he didn't want to shame her before the angel spoke to him. And this shaming is that this outing of, of the deceiver that the accuser is ultimately, do you see the last words of verse 15? By triumphing over them in him. By being captivated by Christ, you and I can avoid being captives to lesser things. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And I'm going to ask you to join me in doing something that's actually pretty cool. If you're not a believer, I want you to think about those things and you can write this in your notes, just the things you need to be forgiven for in your life. If you are a believer, I want you to think about the things that God has said to you that are paid in full in your life. I want you to jot some things on your note sheet there beside Psalm 1 that's, that's in your notes. And, and as we worship together, I just want to gently remind you that he is not fooled by our transgressions. Uh, he's not ignorant of them. But what he's chosen to say, those words, he's chosen to tear them up, to stamp them with the words Paid in full because of the Christ that we serve. That's, brothers and sisters, is what it means for us to be rooted in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you know us perfectly, that you have not just left us here to struggle through the struggle of our lives, but instead, Lord, that you've promised to not only teach us your truth, but to sustain us. I ask that we would be people who understand what it means to live in the light of that truth, paid in full. And all God's people said, amen.